The Irish are a nation of storytellers. Our stories are embedded in us and in our landscape. Welcome to Tales and Trails podcast in partnership with Discover Ireland, a brand new and immersive audio experience that invites you to walk the Irish countryside with us. <laughs> Gavin, how are we? Great, you thanks. Yeah, yeah. Welcome along today. Cheers. Are you looking forward to this? Yeah, it's going to be great. First yeah. time here in the, in the whole path, yeah. Today I'll be joined by extreme environment athlete, Gavin Henning. Gavin overcame huge personal adversity to live a truly extraordinary life that pushes the extremes of the human body and mind. From deep sea saturation diving, to taking on high altitude peaks in the Himalayas, and some of the world's toughest races. In 2017, Gavin took on his greatest challenge to date and rode solo across the Atlantic Ocean, a 5,000 kilometer journey that took 49 days to complete, smashing race records and finishing in third place ahead of two and three man boats. Today, Gavin and I will take on the Tramline Loop in Hope, Dublin, one of the most spectacular and breathtaking cliff walks in the country. This walk starts and ends at Hoth Dart Station and takes in the incredible views of Dublin Bay, as well as Ireland's Eye, Lambay Island and the iconic Bailey Lighthouse, as you follow the coastal path along the towering cliff's edge. This 7km loop takes around an hour and a half to complete in full, with plenty of opportunities to take a break and soak in the far-reaching sea views. It's a gentle loop, with very little incline, but with steep cliff edges, it is important to keep your wits about you. Make sure to wear hiking boots or trail runners and pack rain gear just in case. Don't forget to visit the Tales and Trails hub on loveand.e to plan your walking break in Dublin, where we've highlighted the best restaurants, accommodation and things to do in the area. So we're lucky enough to grab onto you for a couple of days while you're back here in Ireland. Where are you at the moment? Where are you living? Um, so I'm over in France, in Chamonix, in the Alps. So uh, yeah, I've been over there since sort of the end of last year. Um, and yeah, loving it over there, but I'm home for, uh, yeah, home for 10 days, so. Is that where you got, got that Whopper tan? <laughs> yeah, I've got, <laughs> got a serious uh, farmer's tan That's not from Ireland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from, from the, I think it's a lot of it from the reflection of the snow over there, so when you're up high and, uh, yeah, you get that sort of uh, reflection and uh, yeah, you end up getting uh, pretty barbecued out there. What are you doing over there? Um, so at the moment, I'm sort of uh, taking a bit of time out for my work, my job uh, that I work, I work offshore as a commercial diver on the oil rigs, but I'm on some time off because um, I'm preparing for, um, an ultra marathon called the Tour de Jean, which is uh, a 330 kilometer uh, mountain race in the Italian Alps. Um, and I got into it earlier this year through a lottery, like there's um, a thousand people in it every year, um, and usually about 5,000 people enter the lottery. Um, so it's a pretty prestigious kind of uh, race. It's like th the biggest, most competitive uh, 200 mile race. But it's, uh, yeah, it's the, 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 the tough thing about it actually is that it's got uh, 24,000 meters of climbing. Um, and and the, the, the clock doesn't stop, so you've got a cutoff of six days um, and you have to basically climb uh, the equivalent of three times of Everest in, uh, in vertical um, and, and go down as well. Um, so you're open down? Yeah, in the space of six days. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, another, another mass, massive challenge, but it's uh, something that I, I really get a buzz out of, you know? How are you preparing for it? How, like, what do you do on a day to day over there? Um, so a lot of time, you know, you're trying to go out and spend a lot of time on your feet. So, um, you know, my sort of training sessions won't be you know a set distance you know it'll be sort of like i have to go out for like four hours you know um so i'll, I'll go out for sort of yeah three four hours at a time and then I, i'm trying to get in as much vertical as i can so so climbing uh you know a lot of meters every day so at the moment i'm climbing about an average of six thousand meters a week and i'm running about 100k in that so it's yeah it's quite it's quite ridiculous you how know? many meters do you reckon we've climbed here today I'm, <laughs> I'm already gassed about two yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, but this is this is a great trail along here like i mean this 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 you know this is a proper nice little trail to, to hike on to run on you know and there's uh, you know there's a lot of varying rolling rolling
swing up and down. So oh, yeah, I feel it. Don't you worry, I feel <laughs> it. And it's a gorgeous day for it as well. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think you'll get on in that race? Uh, I mean, the goal is... The six days is the cutoff. Yeah, the goal is to finish it, obviously, you know, but I am trying to be competitive, you know. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, I've done a couple of races uh, as long, a bit longer, but nothing as mountainous, you know, so the, the overall uh, volume of up and down is, is, is pretty scary. But, you know, when, when you've got that sort of... Uh, that big goal and something that really scares you like that it really really gives you a sort of kick up the arse and you get out and train and you, and you get it done you know well i'm looking forward to seeing how you can do that because yeah. i would definitely not make that <laughs> uh i'd say take it back a bit i suppose when you're younger and before you got into adventure and all you went through a bit of a rough time when you were younger that kind of led you into adventure yeah yeah so i suppose yeah just to go back like i you know the outdoors really saved me i suppose um and it's really important at the moment like people are talking about um you know mental health a lot and you know sort of well-being and 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 the benefits of of just being outside you know and it's something i suppose we've overlooked over the years and uh yeah i grew up you know fairly a fairly normal uh you know Galway lad but um you know i realized when i was about sort of 14 15 that i was gay and um it was something that i wasn't really able to deal with you know um and this is in the 90s in the west of ireland you know i think uh homosexual yeah homosexual is uh, it was only legalized in 93 you know in Ireland so I mean I know things have progressed a lot you know in, in a short space of time but you know it was it was quite different then um, so yeah I had a lot of kind of internal struggle we'll say at the time um, on top of that like I started you know as most normal um, kids uh, young young people do you know uh, doing a bit of drinking and stuff and then I got into drugs and you know I have a very addictive personality um, pretty full-on kind of all or nothing <laughs> and uh, I ended up um, you know going down a pretty pretty bad path for a number of years um you know with with, with alcohol and drugs and you know ended up um you know in, in a lot of trouble and i left ireland at 19 and ended up in the uk and um you know sort of not in a really good situation i was kind of you know working on a few building sites i hadn't finished school i hadn't really any qualifications or anything um you know i kind of kept losing jobs because i was not coming in on a monday morning and you know i was living in this flat and i had like no furniture in it it was um you know, at the time I was quite insane. Like I, you know, any money I got, I used to just spend it on alcohol and drugs, you know? And I would, uh, yeah, just, you know, not spend money on furniture or anything else, you know? So I lived in this pretty much empty flat and I had this, I remember it really distinctly, I had this little um, single single room and, uh, you know, I didn't have any curtains. I had uh, black bags in the windows, you know, taped up, you know, cause I used to like the fact that it would be dark all the time. So sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and I'd, you know just uh, get stoned and go back to sleep and not really have to deal with the outside world so like you know from looking from where I am now you know to talking about these you know doing a, a daft race in the mountains and, and and living the life I have um to looking back to like you know living in that dark sort of little apartment and um you know it's it's a huge huge contrast but that was a, a really really hard time you know and you've come a long way since then do you do you think um, why you were hiding away and drinking and drugs was because you were afraid to come out or had you come out at that stage? No, I hadn't come out. Like, I think there was a, it was a, a number of things, you know, I think, um, look, my dad was never around when I was younger. You know, he had his own problems with alcohol um, and mental health. Um, and, and there was that sort of, you know, been brought up, uh, you know, just by my mother, with my sisters. So you, you kind of add that in with the, you know, dealing, <clears throat> dealing with being gay and then throw kind of alcohol and drugs on top of that. And you just have a, you know, a sort of, recipe for disaster really you know an angry young man you know who's like you know I really hated my dad at the time I kind of you know kind of blamed him for everything really you know that was wrong with me and you know just a lot of frustration so <clears throat> I suppose just all that put together um 
is, is a dangerous combination and, and that's not you know you know I, my story isn't unique like that's a common thing for a lot of young people today you know who come from you know sort of we'll say broken homes or stuff like that and, right. and, and, and young lads you know that are, are can't really deal with their emotions you know so for me when I got when I eventually did get um, clean and sober I suppose it was about maturing and trying to deal with um, you know deal with those emotions and stuff like that which was um, you know obviously uh, quite, a, quite a hard thing to do. Trying to accept all those feelings that you'd neglected for so long I suppose was tough. Yeah. But you went to rehab yeah to try to get out of this and you did get out didn't you? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I, I spent um, I spent five weeks in rehab when I was 21, so that was kind of like cold turkey. Um, you know, I'd been using, you know, a lot of pretty hard drugs, like um, and, and drinking a lot, so and non-stop for the best part of five years. So it was a bit of a shock to the system at first. Um, but actually, when I first went to the rehab, I remember the counselor, the the, the woman there. She, she was she was she was quite nice and. I, I kind of just blurted out that I was gay and it was like this um, Was that the first time saying yeah, it? Yeah, it was basically the first time saying it and it was um, Yeah, it was it was a massive relief actually um, The weight lifted off your shoulder Absolutely, yeah, so Thanks guys How are you? <laughs> <laughs> just on a bit of a single track here, so yeah. we're walking by Jeez, a few people mad, you're <laughs> getting into the thick of a story here in the middle of the <laughs> And everyone's hearing it <laughs> Yeah, yeah Well, they'll be hearing it on the it's podcast Sooner or later, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Um, But then from then on you did rehab, sorry you, you blurted out for the first time yeah. that you were gay in the middle of rehab, yeah. and was there some weight lifted off your shoulders? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was quite funny because you know, I kind of was expecting, you know, a bit more of a reaction. <laughs> Everyone was standing up and laughing. Yeah, and... but um, you know, the counselor at the time, um, thanks. She she said to me, "That's that's great. I'm delighted you said that, but like, we need to just like get you clean and sober, you know, because that's your kind of primary issue at the moment, and everything else will." Kind of sort itself out, which which made total sense, um, you know, well, because that helped with coming clean. Yeah, because yourself exactly. Kind of for the first time. Yeah, so it was a case of like, you know, like I was saying there a minute ago, like if you're if you have issues, if you have stuff you need to talk about, if you've got emotional problems, um, you know, throwing alcohol and drugs on top of it isn't gonna isn't gonna make it any better. It's gonna make it worse. So temporarily you know, hide yeah. So basically, take take away that sort of that thing, and then eventually you can start to. Um, do a bit of work and, and sort of yeah get down to who you really are exactly and yeah. that's what you did so yeah started getting into adventure what was the first taste of adventure for after all this yeah so i mean around that time was was really hard because i came out of the rehab and it was like um you know i was 21 years old i was living in galway um and like yeah the, the, the sort of the idea with you know going to rehab is that you know you stay you stay off everything you know because one is too many a thousand never enough if there isn't a you know there's no ha there's no middle ground when you're an addict you know, you either, uh, you know, you completely abstain. So, you know, 21 years old, trying to not drink and use any drugs, you know, in a place like Galway for a start. At tough age. Yeah, yeah exactly. Galway. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was really hard. Um, and of course, like it was just bombarded with, you know, I suppose life. And, you know, I didn't really have anything at 21. I, you know, hadn't finished school. I hadn't learned how to drive. Um, you know, I hadn't really held down any sort of job. So. You know, it was a real kind of starting again moment, you know, and that was really, really tough um, in, in the first sort of couple of months um, when I did when I did do that. But the the thing that the catalyst really for change was um, when I went surfing for the first time. Um, so this is a few months kind of after staying clean and sober for a few months. There was a friend of mine, John, who who I'd met through through rehab, and he had um, he had. Uh, 
been in the same situation, but he was all he was a DJ for for a number of years, um, and he ended up getting rid of all his decks and his gear because he wanted to like get away from that scene, you know. And uh, so he sold that, and then uh, basically he 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 said, right, look, I want to I want to go surfing. Have, I, have, have you have you any money? And I was like, I was on the dole at the time. I said, like, I have no cash. He says, well, I've got enough for a board. If you can get enough money for a wetsuit, we can go surfing between so the two went, of us. So you went halfsies on both of them? Basically, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and we took off to Lynch to go surfing for the first time in the middle of November. Yeah, I suppose that, when I look back, it was that, that moment when I, you know, got into the into the ocean for the first time after all these years of, um, you know, not really being in the outdoors again, you know. And, and the thing is, I grew up, like, you know, in, you know, just outside Galway City, right on the coast. Um, and like, you know, I swam a lot as a kid and I was in the outdoors. So I really just tapped into something that, you know, I did love deep down, but I had totally neglected, neglected and, and sort of, you know, not, not really, um, you know, seen to at all for years. So back to the surfing and that, like yeah. the rush that you got, like what was it that you felt that was like, okay, this is what I need to be doing now? Um, was it a new lease of life or I something? Suppose, yeah, like I, I actually, I didn't, really, I didn't actually catch it, didn't stand up properly <laughs> at all the first time. I just actually got trashed around for the best part of uh, an hour and a half and quite close to the rocks as well in the hinge. Um, but yeah, just sort of, I just sort of forgot about all the stuff that was going on in my head. You know, I suppose I'd been living, living in my head for a number of years and sort of internalizing a lot of stuff. And, you know, it was really just, you know, sort of not thinking for a couple of hours really and just being out in the water and you know I suppose like I don't surf as much as I do anymore um I haven't surfed actually in a while you know um I've done a lot of different things over the years you know uh, snowboarding climbing you know ultra running um rowing you know and I suppose you know it, it, the outlook doesn't really matter what it is is mainly that you're sort of outside and you know it's enjoying the outdoors and and that's kind of really the basis for everything that I do, you know? Connecting back with nature, Absolutely. like we're doing now. Yeah. yeah this Even is... these walks, they do make you feel a lot better, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is just stunning along here, you know? You're right on right on the edge of the water, and yeah, it's just incredible. So, yeah, I mean, how can you not feel good after, after you know, a sort of short walk even along here? Yeah, it's absolutely magical. Everyone loves short breaks, but to really experience a place, you have to get out there. A walk helps you clear your head and truly connect with where you are. Whether you're wandering, rambling, or hiking, walking makes your break. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on Lovin.ie, where you'll find inspiration for your next walking break in Ireland. Once you've passed through Hoth Village, following the Blue Arrows, you'll begin an incline from Kilrock Car Park. This is where the coastal path starts, and you'll get your first clear view of Ireland's Eye, a small uninhabited island off the coast of County Dublin, easily reached by tourist boats. Beyond that, you'll see Lambay Island, the easternmost point of the province of Leinster. The island is infamous as a home to a herd of over 100 wild redneck wallabies. So that was your first taste of it? Yeah. Did a bit more and then you got into deep sea saturation diving. Yeah, so... Um, Explain what that is. So basically I had a, yeah, I had a, you know, a decent period where I, I stayed clean and sober back home uh, and I, I, I kept surfing and, you know, things, life started kind of, um, you know, sort of happened for me really, and it was really good. Like I learned how to drive, and you know, I was working in um, an outdoor shop in Galway, and I ended up like delivering a bit of Chinese, and you know, I was kind of like doing odd jobs and stuff, and I was saving a bit of money because I had a friend who had um, been over in, uh, yeah. been over in uh, in Bali, and and you know, Bali in Indonesia is a, like one of the best spots in the world for surfing. So I kind of thought, geez, I'd love to go out there. So I saved up a bit of money, and after I think it was about two years after. You know, staying clean this over two years. I went out there um, on this surf trip, you know, which was an amazing experience for, you know, about, I think about a month. And then 
kind of after that I was like well she said I want to go back home now so I got like a working holiday visa for Australia you know um you know I was 23 at the time so I headed over there to Perth um and I was a uh, you know work, got a job in a building site and you know I was still surfing over there because it's a really good surfing western Australia and yeah it was just there that I found about out about this course um called commercial diving which is basically um someone who goes underwater and does like construction work you know it could be working in harbors and um dams and sort of in inshore stuff and then um eventually going working on oil rigs and stuff like that so <clears throat> i ended up doing doing this course you know kind of um was really you know thinking this could be something i could 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 be good at and you know i really liked the idea of um potentially working offshore and having you know you know month on month off and having that time to go off on surf trips and adventures and stuff <coughs> so um yeah i ended up getting into that and that's really been a huge kind of um, point really that's enabled me to do a lot of stuff down through the years because um, after a, a couple of years uh, of just normal diving um, I got into the saturation which is um, this is different level this yeah is... this is a deep deep diving so basically anything uh, deeper than sort of like 100 150 meters down to like two, 200 250 um, but it involves living inside a, a chamber because you can't just go down and come back up in a day uh, the decompression is just too long so they put us inside this small chamber inside a boat and pressurize us to the same depth that we're working at and that is our like living environment um, and we stay in there for 28 days at a time and then every day we go uh, into this thing called diving bell which takes us down to the bottom and that's where we go to work for sort of six hours at a time 28 uh, days at a time 28 days inside how big it. is this it's, it's as big as the back of a bus you know it's tiny um it's a small space you know there'd be could be three there'd be, could be three or six of you in there um uh, you know you're in teams of three usually but sometimes you're sharing a chamber um, and yeah, it's it's completely bonkers, really, as a as a job, you know, as a <laughs> it's uh, not it, not your normal nine to five by any stretch of the imagination. It doesn't sound in any way pleasing or enjoyable whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, you did, you you like it, don't you? Yeah, like I, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not nice to be caged up by that, and I suppose that's one of the maybe that's one of the um, you know reasons why I end up doing all all sorts of daft stuff when I'm on my time off because I am caged like that but at the same time you know you get to do some pretty incredible diving um, you know and, and, and to be places that not a lot of humans have been you know down you know 200 meters um, you know working on you know sort of wellheads and stuff in the North Sea and like all over the world and West Africa Middle East sort of. so yeah look it's you know it, it, yeah it is hard in a lot of ways but there's a lot of rewards from it you know and it's given me a lot of confidence as a person you know um, you know to believe that I you know can do other things outside of that and you know for me you know as as a sort of troubled troubled youth i suppose and someone with very low self-esteem low, conf low confidence to you know come from from that place into you know working a, a sort of high-risk job like that and you know i really have to pinch myself sometimes you know um and you know i do get a lot of gratitude out of it and the bottom line is that you know i wouldn't have been able to do any of that if i hadn't had stayed clean and sober you know and like I'm what, 38 now, like I've been sober for 16, nearly 17 years. So, you know, that's the foundation to all the good things that have happened in my life, you know? Um, and yeah, I suppose it's just, I find it really important to, to talk about that and, you know, to sort of promote that as much as I can. It's absolutely lovely to, to think that like something that I would think sounds like hell and you've just said like, it has changed your life. It's made you realize that you can do these things. It's yeah. absolutely fantastic to see that turnaround. Yeah. It yeah. sounds pretty dangerous, is it? Um, 200 meters. Yeah, I mean, like if, thing, if things were to go wrong, um, they can go very wrong. Um, but it is at the same time. It's 
a very very heavily sa uh, regulated industry safety wise you know there's been a lot of there was a lot of accidents back in the early days in the sort of 70s um, a lot of guys uh, sort of died in you know um, sort of f uh, building the, the first rigs in the North Sea but um, you know it's come on a lot since then and um, yeah it's, it's it's a lot safer but so you've had no problems with it anyway no I've not had I've not had many you know I mean physically like it's really tough on your body and this is why I'm taking a break now and I'm kind of looking at maybe some other options um, because yeah like it's actually for the stuff that I'm doing at the moment it's like the polar opposite because uh, when you're inside a chamber under pressure your your, your gas mixture changes so you're breathing um, you're not breathing normal air so right now we're breathing uh, you know 21% oxygen 78% uh, nitrogen when you when you're in a when you're a saturation diver you breathe uh, in the region of 95% uh, helium and only about 5% oxygen so the atmosphere is completely different and and that has like a lot of physiological effects so it takes away from a lot of your fitness um, because you make less red blood cells um, and then you have to reacclimatize to this atmosphere uh, which is kind of bizarre for people to try and grasp because not many people have the experience of like what another atmosphere is like <laughs> so uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's kind of wild um, but yeah I've uh, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed it over the years and it's given me some, you know, made, I've made some good money here and there and I've had a chance to take a bit of time off. And, and it's given you the opportunity to do the other things that you like, as exactly. you said, it's given you the time off. Mm. And that's when you got into like the ultra racing and the rowing and stuff like that? Yeah, so, yeah, that was kind of crazy, like, because I was kind of, yeah, one, I suppose one thing led to another. I didn't really plan anything. I was, I was surfing and um, doing that and then I started going on, started, I tried snowboarding, went on, started going on snowboarding trips and then, that evolved into kind of backcountry snowboarding, which um, Take a ride was um, a lot of like mountaineering kind of, so climb a mountain and snowboard down it, and which led to like, you know, me sort of like wanting to be, I suppose, you know, independent in the mountains and stuff and learn that sort of trade, that craft, you know, which I did a lot of. And then, um, yeah, just sort of really enjoying that sort of test of being out in the wilderness a bit. And then it was, from there that yeah I started looking into doing a couple of adventure races and ultras and stuff like that and I took part in uh, this crazy ultra in the Yukon called the Yukon Arctic Ultra which is a 300 mile um, winter ultra marathon um, so that was kind of my first taste uh, of that sort of realm of stuff and uh, yeah I've just been kind of picking out different things since then and yeah the, the row was uh the rowing one blows my mind <laughs> yeah, i can't get my head around it yeah so five thousand kilometer row yeah yeah by so, yourself yeah like why how <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'll start i suppose I, I i read a book um um about rowing the atlantic it was it was literally just a i was on my way to work and you know i'm in the airport and Usually I could grab a whole load of magazines, you know, men's health and just anything to be reading while you're, while you're in the chamber because you're bored out of your brains. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was a book about this guy who rode the ocean and I never really, you know, never really thought about it before or anything. And so I read about it and, read, and it explained a lot of the history of the sport. And um, actually the book's called, I think it's Salt, Sweat and Tears. It's a great book. But anyways, he, he spoke, one particular thing jumped out at me was when he spoke about... Um, Few steps here. I'm getting out of breath. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, he's that race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he he started uh, talking about being out there in the middle of the Atlantic, especially at night time, and being able to see the Milky Way 
um, and then having all this like phosphorescent plankton being stirred up and stuff like that. And it just kind of, I suppose this romantic notion of, uh, of doing it kind of took hold. Um, and I kind of decided in that moment that it's something I'd like to go for. Um, and yeah, sort of after that, the obsession kicked in and uh, I'm like planning on how to do it and how much it's gonna cost and what it involves. And I found this race called the Talskabiski Atlantic Challenge. And then I ended up entering that. Um, and sort of like two years later, yeah, like long story short, I ended up, um, you know, rowing solo, yeah, across the Atlantic in 50 days. Sorry, as you just said there, two years. You didn't row too much before that, did you? No, actually, that was my first rowing race, was like, to row across the Atlantic, yeah. That's pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, claim. Yeah, no, so I, I had to learn how to row. Um, learn yeah. how to row and train for this massive Ex race. Yeah, exactly. And how did you train for something like that? Like, what? It's pretty it's hard. Like, other you things can't that you've done. really train for it, to be honest. Like, okay. you can sort of prepare, like, but it's not technically, like, training for it. You know, like, if you think about something linear like say i'm gonna i'm gonna run a marathon so you know progressively do go five yeah 10, five ten yeah. and you know your long run before a marathon might be 20 miles you know so i'm not going to be like oh i'm going to do like a thousand k and then i'll do like maybe i'll do two thousand k so it just doesn't work like that plus like it's very complicated um rowing a, a, an ocean rowing boat around the coast you know it's quite dangerous actually because you're quite just, you're just at the whim of the the, the wind and the tide so you know, I didn't want to be like, you know, getting rescued by the Ornan Eye, you know. <laughs> Every two days. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, yeah, you had to pick your days and, you know, it was, it was, it was tough to get the training in. The few, you know, the, the bits that I did have out, but, I, you know, I did enough. Um, but it was still like, no matter what I did, it was still going to be a massive leap up, you know. So, as you can tell, we've actually arrived at the Summit Car Park here. Uh, lovely place for a little break and unbelievable views. We're yeah. just getting a little bit closer to the wall here. Wow. Absolutely insane. Yeah. After about two kilometres or so, the Bailey Lighthouse comes into view, overlooking the main shipping channel between Dublin to Britain. This remained as a manned lighthouse until 1997, and is still the first thing many people see as they arrive into Dublin Bay by boat. As you continue on a slight incline, you'll arrive at the Summer Car Park, which boasts incredible views of Dublin City. Today's walk is situated in County Dublin, where city living thrives side by side with the natural outdoors. Discover beyond the city and explore picturesque towns, secret beaches, or enjoy breathtaking cliff walks. To plan your short break in Dublin, head to the Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on Love and Bailey Lighthouse. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting our first glimpse of it. Yeah. yeah. Sailing boats out there as well, yeah. unbelievable views from here. Unmanned, another unmanned lighthouse, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. It's actually been unmanned since 1996, would you believe it or not? Amazing, yeah. It's stunning. I live out there. I take <laughs> yeah. a house. Yeah. Airbnb? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. So as we're looking at Bailey Lighthouse, we're actually at a point where everyone's kind of just sitting around relaxing. So it's actually a perfect point for a little break, sit down, maybe yeah. have your little picnic if you're looking for one. Yeah. And uh, just in the background there, at, like beyond Bailey Lighthouse, you can see the Wicklow Mountains, the Sugarloaf, Brayhead. Yeah. Is that Dalky Island I can see as well? Just it past it. Like it is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. We're not stopping though. We're going to drive on to the summit. Oh, huh? we're, we're, we're not stopping. We're going to the, we're going to the Sugarloaf. That's <laughs> us. We're doing the nice. whole thing. <laughs> to see all the Wicklow Mountains. All the Wicklow Mountains. Incredible. A few shippers out there. Yeah. The Poolbeck Terrace over on the right. Yeah. It's Kleine down there, is it? it uh, yeah. Oh, Kleine Hill. Yeah. 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 You can yeah. I think I can actually see the witch's hat. That's unbelievable eyesight by me. <laughs> <laughs> Could be making it up also, though. <laughs> uh, but back to the rowing and the boat and 49 days in the boat alone. Yeah. What was your mental battle with that? Like, yeah. how tough was that? I mean, it was, you know, the thing that scared me the most about it before I went out there was the mental side of it. It was not so much, I suppose, 
the physical and, and, and sort of like the getting it done thing in that in that sort of um, context but like it was the yeah the mental the mental battle I was going through because it was it's just so monotonous and so like it's just the same out there you know people just ask me like what like what wildlife did you see and I could list off you know lots of different things you know so turtles dolphins whales all sorts of stuff like that you know but it might be like a week between a sighting yeah, yeah yeah you know so there's just nothing for a week like and then you might see a boat like every two weeks and it's just such an incredibly long amount of time to just and it just it's just day after day so I think for me you know people a lot of people have kind of asked me about it and I've, I suppose I've had a lot of time to try and think about it and quantify like what that experience is like and I suppose for me like the the, the best way I can describe it like is that um, there was just a, an incredible amount of freedom uh, once I pushed off because I didn't actually have any sort of choice in what I had to do all I ha the, the, the only thing I could do was just keep going keep moving forward you know to, to get out to just like pull the plug um, is, is, is not something you want to try and do like you know, you're going to call in the international rescue you're going to abandon your boat you know what I mean There's so yeah I didn't actually give myself a choice of, of, of stopping you know so I, I, I got rid of choice <laughs> there was no <laughs> choice one choice is yeah gone. so there was like so I, I always described it as like the freedom of not having a choice you know, and that was a complete freedom of all I had to do was just keep going forward no matter what. You very know? positive yeah. way to look yeah. at it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's and that's what I did. But I just had to, um, you know, I just had to be day to day. You know, because like you know, a week in, ten days in, I'm like, you know, I've rode sort of fifteen hours a day. And, like my body's an absolute mess. I'm I'm wrecked, um, and I'm just thinking to myself, I've got. I zoom out in the map on the chart plotter, and I just think to myself, geez, I've got another, you know, three, four thousand kilometers. Like, how am I going to do this? You know, so. You know, you're trying to keep your mind and your body in the same place because your mind's already like, well, when am I going to get to the end? And you're just having to constantly bring your mind back We're here and now. with the body, keep them in the same place and be like, right, well, you know, let's take a couple of strokes here, you know? <laughs> you uh, said you had no choice, but did you ever get to a point where you were like, okay, I want to call it a day here? Like, struggle that bad on a day? It's really like 15, 20 days in. Uh, like, no, because I kind of... Yeah, I just had this yeah, pretty strong mental mental thing the whole time. Even though like I was deteriorating, like I was losing weight, I lost like 14 kilos altogether. Um, I ended up hurting my back. You know, I kind of had mentally was like becoming more a bit more of a savage the whole way across. <laughs> like I kind of was like, okay, like yeah, you know, because I just felt like I was adapting to the load and you know, sort of like you know, rolling more miles and become. I, bec I was becoming more attuned to the environment. You know, I could really tell when the weather was going to change in a heartbeat, and you know, sort of like you know, the boat was constantly moving around. Like there wasn't a point where like I could stand like without holding onto the jack stay or something, you know. Like I, when I when I eventually got ashore, like I literally could not walk on it's flat land, yeah, because I was just wobbling. Wobbling all the time. But like after like a couple of weeks, you know, like I, you know, I had no seasickness. Like I was just like moving, like the boat would move, and I'd just be like, you know, I just step one way, you know, I'd just be totally dancing. You know, with yeah, it. yeah, and just you, you know, and the same thing with the rowing because you're like you know, obviously rowing is is hard, but the the, the whole the whole point of it is that you're trying to you know go with the weather and trying to you know catch waves and, and there was a lot of quite cool moments where I was actually surfing and I got up to like 15 knots in the boat going down big waves you know um, and that was and that was class like so yeah like it was a you know a, a really kind of um, you know enclosed experience in that sort of regard where you know you mean you're sort of like kind of in the, in that sort of little bubble you know and, and you're just you know away from everything and you're just kind of tuned into yourself tuned into the environment you know and, that, and that's a pretty 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 special experience like when you're with somebody else you know, you are sometimes having, you know, your, 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 your um, attention is taken up by them. But when you're completely on your own in a yeah. situation like that, you're all you can engage with is the environment, you know. And that's uh, after a while, that's a pretty, pretty cool experience, like to be sort of zoned in like that. Yeah. What was it like when you got to the finish line or you knew the finish line was in sight? Yeah, it was it was quite hectic because I was in a kind of like I was 
in this race, you know, there was actually 12 boats in the race. Um, a lot of them had more than one person in it. Um, I was, there was a, three solos, the rest were pairs, uh, threes and fours. Um, and I actually did quite well. I ended up coming third. You did quite well. Yeah, I, that's put it lightly. I came third overall. So, uh, Only yeah. behind two four-man boats. Yeah, yeah. Um, First out of all the solos. Yeah, and then I was in this race towards the very end with these three American guys. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite hectic because they were re they had started off quite slow and I was wondering why they were so far back because I was getting reports, you know, and apparently like they had like a lot of mechanical issues and they, I mean, there was three of them stuffed into a small boat. So, you know, I'm sure they, <laughs> they had their own, uh, there were a few stories to tell, but anyways, they didn't, they had, they had, they had a little bit, of, bit of trouble, but then they eventually started, um, you know, pushing on and they started catching me every day. Like I had a bit of good lead on them and they were picking up, picking off miles every day and eventually got to like right to the wire where um, they were only within a few miles of me at the very end um, and it was quite it was quite crazy like uh, they actually finished like an hour and a half behind me so I managed to squeeze in so it was quite Out hectic a 49 day race yeah, that's, that's yeah. time and I like literally rode the last 18 hours like I, I just didn't stop the because I knew I was, the finish line was in sight I just kept going like I you yeah. were just this is it I'm taking yeah, third I'm yeah, taking third place absolute uh, savage at that stage like I I was eating these freeze dried meals so I had all these like um you know, sort of uh, chicken curries and, and sort of um, dal and like all different mix of stuff. But they, they, they always were, they took a while to eat, you know, and I was wasting too much time because I was rowing three hours on, one hour off. And then at the end, I was wanting to row more. So the last week, I actually, all I ate was um, cold water uh, rice puddings that I'd leave like all packed along the side of the boat. And I have so them all rehydrated. So I just like guzzled them down and get back on the, get back on the oars, you know. So it was, it was absolutely crazy when you think, when I think back there, like, you that know. That determination yeah. is absolutely yeah. crazy. So. And you broke your back on it as well, didn't you? Yeah, look, so, you know, I sort of um, not really learned how to row properly, I think would be, would be one of the, uh, one of the <laughs> things. Um, but yeah, I had an injury, it was repetitive strain injury. So I had a, a small stress fracture in, my, in one of my vertebrae. So uh, yeah, look, I, I needed a lot of rest for quite a few months afterwards, you know. But because you were planning on rowing back across the Yeah, country. yeah, again, I suppose I, I think I might have spent too much time on my own where I started getting more daft ideas, but I, yeah, I wanted to row back. I had this notion that it would be pretty cool to row from New York back to Galway. So um, I had to put that on the, on the back burner and uh, get better, you know. So I never materialized like I sold the boat in the, in the interim and uh, ah, look, sure, we never know, maybe, maybe another time. It was an incredible achievement anyway. And yeah. then a little, another part of your life, a little small part of your life, the motivational speaking. Yeah. How did you get into that? Yeah, so sort of uh, kind of fell into it there uh, a few years ago. A um, friend of mine I was, uh, who, who I was living with at the time, she was a school teacher and she was always bugging me to come in and talk to the kids, you know. So uh, eventually, like, I went in one day with a whole bunch of, you know, sort of uh, mountaineering gear and showed all the kids and showed them a few photos and stuff from the Arctic and, you know, places like that. And they were all fascinated. And then uh, another school teacher got me to come in and it just kind of went from there. And then, uh, yeah, I started doing sort of corporate talks and, you know, uh, you know, rugby clubs and yeah sort of kind of did a few tours around the country lots of schools and stuff and um yeah telling my story so yeah it's been it's been a, a bit of a wild ride uh yeah it's really good to especially talk to to school kids like you know i mean i, I, I always felt quite weird going in there because because i never finished school and i've gone in and talked to quite a few uh you know leaving certs and, and and a bit younger and stuff with that and um, you know, but people are really op open to, you know, hearing people's stories nowadays. So it it's been really positive. Like, you know, I had one <clears throat> um, one there last year that I did. And sometimes it's, it's hard. You go into like a bunch of fifth years and, you know, transition years. And they're kind of sitting there like, you know, kind of looking at you like too, too, too cool to say anything or too cool to ask questions. And uh, um, I had this email after I did a talk in Claire from this from this parent. And, and she said, um, uh, uh, my son um, came home after your talk um, and... Uh, he hasn't spoke to um, me or, uh, or my husband for over a year. 
Like he just grunts at them, doesn't talk to them, and he came home after your talk and he wouldn't shut up about you and, and all the stuff that you'd done and all this, all these things. And like I was just like, you know, sometimes I'm like I just don't feel like I, you know, I'm I'm adding any value. But like when I got that email, like yeah, it was like Jesus, I actually, you know, did get through to one one That's absolutely one kid, incredible you know? to hear so, that kind of yeah, feedback. yeah. So so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a positive thing to you know to push with your push life way. story. Like, what is your message when you go into these? Like, what do you like? I'm I don't know. Like, so I, I suppose. Look, there's a lot of advice out there nowadays, you know? You mean, you just turn on Facebook and everyone's, everyone is, you two know, cents. everyone's got a, everyone's got their two cents, everyone's got their opinion. And I suppose I'm a bit wary of just like, shout, you know, pushing something down someone's throat. Like I tell my story um, and, I, and you know, I suppose I, I do give, you know, sort of lessons from, you know, like being out in the Atlantic, do you know what I mean? And, and sort of uh, lessons from all this sort of stuff. And, I, and, you know, one thing I definitely tell, I tell kids is and it, it, it's something that I've learned over the years is not really to define yourself by any one thing, you know? So like when I started surfing, when I was whatever, 19, 20, like I was like, I'm a surfer, that's all I'm about, you know? And then I started snowboarding and then I forgot about surfing and I started doing other things and I tried a lot of different things. And, you know, now I'm doing the ultras and I'm into that, you know, but it's like when people think like, oh, this is what I do, this is what I'm good at they don't have any open-mindedness to try anything else, you know? And I suppose, you know, when you're younger, especially, like, you need to be very, you know, you need to not define yourself by one thing and just be completely open to new experiences. And that's really important for for sort of, I suppose, young people uh, nowadays, you know, and, and someone, or for everyone, really, like, you know, not to think that, oh, I can't do something else because this is this is what I do, you know? This so, is it, this is who I am, and that's it. Yeah. Don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't, yeah, exactly. Don't, don't, don't define yourself along strong lines, you know? Be open to... Trying, trying new things, and, and being being another person that you might have thought you, ne- you might never be, you know. So, with all these different aspects of your life, motivational speaking, the ultras, absolutely everything that's going on, what do you? What's your day to day like? What do you like at home? Uh, pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Do you like, chill? Or are you constantly I know, on the go? No, it's funny because that's the thing. People are like, oh, you, you probably never, never switch off, you know. And like, I actually do, you know, because I'm, I mean, I'm 38 now, and I'm like trying to, uh, you know, compete in like big ultras and and, and those big events and. Like my training load is is high, you know, and like I, when I go out like in the mountains, like I'm some I'm at altitude, it's like taxing on the body, you know. Training a lot, like you know, if I'm gonna have a rest day, like I'm, I'll have a rest day, like I, you know, I'll, I'll watch Game of Thrones, I'll watch Netflix, whatever, like I'll spend the day on the couch. I've no problem doing that. I'm not gonna think to myself, I'm lazy. Like rest day is a rest day, you know. And if if, if I'm not feeling it, like if I'm not thinking, you know, I'm not gonna push myself, you know, because I'm, like I've done a lot of like questionably stupid things over the years you know um you know i've done like ultras without a whole lot of training and you know obviously flogging myself across the atlantic like you know so like i value i value my body i value my well-being and you know it's not a it's not like some sort of like masochistic thing like and and that's i suppose a really important point for me as well is because a lot of people ask me as well down through the years in media it's like oh well you know you were this i'll call it drug addict and now all of a sudden you're off to an adventure like is, are you just replacing one addiction with another um and like i just i always kind of get a little bit annoyed at that question because it's like well you know addiction is like a really damaging thing like it damages families it damages lives um you know what i mean being outside is not really hurting a lot of people you know Except for yourself yeah exactly yeah like you know hurting your body a bit like running through the mountains whatever but you know like it's ultimately gonna you know make you a happier person make you a better person um and yeah, like that's, if you want to call that addiction, fair enough. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to being out here on these trails and, and, and being out in the mountains and, and I'm okay with that, you know, but it's, 
um, you know, it's not, it's, it's definitely not a, a negative. You know? Would your mates say that about you as well, or are you dragging them around the place? You them <laughs> up and do walks? Uh, luckily, uh, over in Chamonix, yeah. uh, I don't have to look too far. There's, everyone's pretty extreme over there. So there's always somebody, uh, you know, uh, willing to go and do something uh, bonkers in the mountains. So yeah, so you're all in the same boat. Yeah, that's which is cool. You know, it's it, it, it's nice to be. Yeah, obviously, surround yourself with people that are you know into the outdoors and stuff for that and. You know, I mean, there's no excuse nowadays here in Ireland. I mean, look, I mean, there's just there's so many, you know, running clubs, outdoor um, adventure races, uh, you know, triathlons. Like, it's just, there's massive communities of people um, sort of mobilising around the country, you know, spending time in the outdoors and, 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 you know, out in these trails and stuff. So, so you're around people that you're, you're quite yeah. like. Yeah, I think absolutely. the one lovely point that you mentioned on the podcast was the freedom of not having a choice. Like, trail, trail all the different things in your life, like drug and drink, doing the ultras, rowing the boat. Yeah, it's a it's a really positive way in a weird way to look at things. Yeah, I suppose the thing is, you know, nowadays um, the thing is we just have so much choice. Like we're not, you know, you know, you can just do a million different things every day. You know, you can do a million different things in your life, and that's an amazing thing. Don't get me wrong. Like it's we're incredibly privileged to, to be living the way we are in this country and, and sort of in the Western world. Um, but that can be quite crippling as well. You know, it's like well. There's too many bloody options, you know, and I suppose for me, um, when I decide I'm going to do something like, you know, I'm not going to drink or I'm going to row across the Atlantic or I'm going to do this massive ultra, um, like it's just when the decision is made, the decision is made, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's the goal. We're going to go for it. Um, there isn't really a whole lot of choice in the matter. Um, and then I suppose like what I, what I say is that there's, there's actually a whole lot of freedom in that because it's like you've taken away the sort of option to bail or, you know, sort of not do it. Um, and you just sort of like living in that moment of like, right, well, what's the next thing I need to do to get to, to that point, to get to that goal, like, you know? Um, and yeah, it's just finding finding sort of solace, I suppose, in that, you know, and, and, and not being worried about like, oh, maybe I should do something else, you know? You're, you're so right about the decisions because it nearly cripples <coughs> us as there's too many out there. Yeah. So you never pick one. Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah. a tactic of going, right, this is yeah. it, this is what I'm doing. And that's the thing, it's a, <clears throat> and, I, and I always say like, <clears throat> You know, I don't know what what it'll be like. You know, I, I couldn't tell you where I'm going to be in five years. You know, like I'm kind of on this ultra marathon thing at the moment where I'm really attracted to that. I'm obviously in the mountains in Chamonix, but I could be living back here in five years. I could be doing something else. Like it doesn't actually matter. Like it's whatever inspires you. Like if, it, if you pick up a book and you read a line, if you hear a podcast, if you, you know, see a picture on Instagram, whatever it is, if it's just something that sparks your interest, like go at that, you know, 100%. Um, and, and sort of, you know, and it doesn't have to be some ridiculously extreme thing. Like, you know, I'm doing this stuff because I enjoy the journey myself, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, it can be, you know, if, if it's knitting, like go for it, do you know what I mean? If it's, if it's something like bird watching, whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, like, you know, um, it can be anything, just, just, you know, go at it 100%. Gavin, I think that's the perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you so much awesome. for coming along with us. Cheers. And uh, let's just enjoy <laughs> these beautiful views yeah, up here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a million, man. Cheers. <laughs> From the Summit Car Park, it's a two-minute walk past the Summit Inn to the old tram line that takes you back to the start point at Hoth Dart Station. At certain points along the tram line, you'll get beautiful views down to Hoth Harbour and beyond. A tram ran between Sutton Railway Station and Hoth Railway Station via the Hill of Hoth until 1959, when it was replaced by two buses. To the dismay of the locals, the buses were unable to run in frosty weather, something which had never stopped the tram. One of the original trams is housed in the Transport Museum in Hoth Castle. You'll arrive back in Hoth Village, a once rural fishing village, which is now a busy suburb of Dublin, that's well worth spending some time in. Thanks to its picturesque setting, Hoth has been a filming location for movies such as The Last of the High Kings, Boy Eats Girl, Love Rosie and Sing Street. If you're interested in planning a short break, the Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland is a bounty of information on the best walks all around the country for your next short break. From the spectacular Wild Atlantic Way to the serene beauty of Ireland's hidden harlots, 
the epic Ireland's ancient east, or the surprises of Dublin. You're sure to find a walking break to suit you and your family. Just to break your luck. Make sure to share your trail photos using the hashtag LoveandTalesAndTrails. It's always important to be respectful of the wildlife and surrounding environment, so make sure to leave the trail as you found it. Visit LeaveNoTraceIreland.org for more information. Tales and Trails podcast is in partnership with Discover Ireland. Learn more about exploring the best walks in County Dublin at loveand.ie forward slash Tales and Trails. Walking makes your brain.